Go Birds Radio, presented by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. Official sportsbook of the real Philly fan. What's going on? It's Elliot Shore Parks for my friends at Window Nation. And if you've had enough of your windows keeping the house chilly, then fight the February cold with Window Nation. Right now, replace your windows and save big with 50% off all window styles, plus zero down, zero interest, and no payments for 24 months. With proven quality and service, it's no wonder thousands have trusted Window Nation. Don't miss out. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com to schedule your free in-home estimate. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This is the Ginger Genuine Draft Show with your host, Ben Natan. Right here on Bleeding Green Nation and BGNRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women of all ages, I would like to welcome you to the first episode of Ginger Genuine Draft presented by Bleeding Green Nation. I am excited, ecstatic, over the moon to bring this new draft show to you. Now, why Ginger Genuine Draft? Well, obviously it's play on beer and uh, and who doesn't love beer, but Ginger because, I mean, have you seen me? I look like Carson Wentz's younger brother. Genuine because the honesty is I'm I'm honest. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to give you give it to you straight. There's a lot of narratives out there in the draft world. Uh, people like to manufacture stories or embellish things in order to make them seem more or less interesting, depending on the story they're trying to sell. That's not me. I'm, I'm going to tell it to you how I see it. I'm not really going to buy into any draft narratives. I mean, if you were following me over the course of last season, you know that I tend to uh, go against the grain a little bit, especially <laughs> I went against the grain a little bit on the uh, the quarterbacks that were so popular last season, but I'm sure you all know about that. And draft, draft because this is the NFL draft. This is the NFL draft show, and who doesn't love talking about the NFL draft? Uh, we talk about it all year because there's no time not to talk about it. You know, during the season, you, you have players playing in games in, in, in the college football world, and, and you evaluate them. After the season, you have all-star games, you have the combine, then, of course, there's the draft itself, and then you evaluate the players and their fits in the draft itself, and then you get to watch them in camps and say, oh, you know, how good are they in camps? And then the, you know, the late summer starts and you get into the preview process for the next season. And that is what we're doing right now. We are previewing the 2016 college football season 
for the NFL draft. And I want to preview the defensive side of the ball today. And each week what we're going to do, we're going to do conference previews on defense. And then the next week we're going to do a conference preview on offense. The Southeastern Conference. The SEC, the most popular conference in college football. And arguably the best. I mean, over the past couple of years and over the past decade, really, they've been pumping out NFL prospects, pumping out top 10 level NFL prospects, guys like Leonard Floyd, Amari Cooper, Todd Gurley, uh, D. Milner, Sheldon Richardson, guys who went really high in the NFL draft over the past couple years, Greg Robinson, Odell Beckham Jr., Mike Evans, just the list goes on and on and on. And the reason for that is because the SEC has the best athletes in college football. They're able to recruit the best athletes at the high school level, you know, people from Texas, from Georgia, Alabama, Florida, just these massive pipelines of the best athletes in the country are going to SEC schools. And athletes are important. You need athletes to win football games. Obviously, there is a nuanced aspect of football that you need that players need to learn in order to succeed. But the best players in the NFL are going to be the best athletes. And because the SEC is able to accrue the best high school talent, the most athletic high school talent, that is why you're consistently seeing the SEC putting top 10, top 15, even or even top 5 level prospects into the NFL. Now, if you're going to talk about the SEC, if you're going to talk about athletes, if you're going to talk about NFL prospects, you have to start with Miles Garrett, the Texas A&M defensive end. He is one of the best defenders in the country, if not the best defender in the country, and probably the best prospect in the 2017 NFL draft. Miles Garrett stepped onto Texas A&M as a highly recruited defender, and ever since he's been there, he's been an absolute star, and also... Not, not just a, an absolute star, but a total freak. And you see that with his main, he's a mainstay on Bruce Feldman's freak list at Fox Sports. Now, if you don't know Bruce Feldman's freak list, it's, a, it's an annual article where he goes over the best athletes in college football. And Miles Garrett, if I'm not mistaken, has been a top five, quote unquote, freak in college football since he started at Texas A&M. And it's really evident when you watch Miles Garrett play. You see that burst off of the line. You see that bend around the edge. And when you're evaluating, when you're evaluating edge players and you're looking at the speed in which they play in relation to their athleticism, there's a lot of things you need to take into consideration. And I'm going to use two prior examples from, from previous drafts. Last year, uh, or to, in two, the, the 2015 draft, there was a player, Eli Harold, who was a defensive edge player from the University of Virginia. And Harold was this very, very productive college defensive player because he was so fast off of the line. He was just he was just too quick for a majority of offensive linemen at the college level. But the reason for that was that he was playing at around 225, 230 pounds. And when you weigh that little at that position, you're, it's it's obvious that you're going to be faster than your competition. It's just physics that a player that light is going to be able to move quicker uh, than a player weighing 250, 260, even 270 pounds. So Harold was this very, very quick and dominant 
edge player at University of Virginia. But when he shows up to the combine, he weighs he weighs 235 pounds or 230 pounds. You kind of have to wonder, and you you go back and you watch him, and, and you see when he starts having to he's quick off the line, but when he actually has to deal with contact, when he has to fight through uh, these offensive linemen, these 300-pound offensive linemen with their very long arms, it, when he initiates contact and his play starts to diminish, that's when you start asking questions about whether or not he's really a great athlete or he's just kind of a good athlete who weighs very little and and, and can't really deal with contact. And, and, and that's not really the elite NFL athlete that you really want on the defensive end. Um, and another example, a little bit different, is D Ford. D Ford was a, an Auburn defensive end. He was selected in the first round by the Chiefs uh, in 2014 to play outside linebacker. And D Ford got this reputation of being this very, very explosive player off the edge. And what it really was was his ability to anticipate the snap count. And when you anticipate the snap count, obviously you're able to get a jump on the offensive lineman across from you. You get the jump on the offensive lineman across from you, and you you immediately have an advantage. And so there was this kind of narrative swirling around that he was this great athlete for a while. And then when he actually showed up to the combine and tested pretty average, um, the, the you had to go back and you had to watch and you had to wonder, you know, where is this athleticism actually showing up? And, and the reality was that he was a one-speed player. He, he he was able to jump the snap count, but he he wasn't a great athlete. And I remember he was playing against Alabama, and he had AJ McCarron in his sights, and he couldn't close on AJ McCarron. AJ McCarron was able to outrun him, and AJ McCarron is not Michael Vick. He's not Marcus Mariota. He's not even Ryan Tannehill uh, or Derek Carr in the scale of athleticism. AJ McCarron is is very slow. Uh, and his ability, the fact that he was able to run away from D Ford, you have to wonder: is, you know, is D Ford actually a great athlete? And and the truth is no. He he's a, an average athlete who was able to jump the snap count, and he because of that he hasn't been that successful in the NFL. So when you look at edge players and you look at their perceived athleticism, what they're able to kind of show on tape, you really have to look for clues as to whether or not they're actually great athletes and not just kind of college great athletes. Uh, you know, can they fight through contact? Can they, do they have a second gear where they can kind of close on a quarterback or close on a running back? And when you watch Miles Garrett, and I, you know, I had to get back to Miles Garrett, of course. When you watch Miles Garrett, it's quite obvious that he's a great athlete. When he initially, you know, he's so fast off the line. And he's able to finesse his way around offensive tackles. But when he's making contact with those offensive tackles, you're seeing he's making a positive impact against them. He's pushing them, you know, he's pushing them back. He's putting them on skates. So there's a legitimate power to his game. There's that speed to power element that's so important that you didn't really get to see with Eli Harold. You didn't really get to see with D Ford. So his ability to fight through contact to me really shows that he's a very, very high level NFL athlete. And the scary thing is that, you know, he was playing most of his college. I think his freshman year, he was 250 pounds. His sophomore year, he was 260 pounds. And there's reports that he's, you know, up into the 265, even 270 range. And if he's able to maintain his athleticism at 270 pounds, you know, the athleticism that he's displayed over the past two years, I think there's going to be a legitimate conversation about him being not just the best prospect in this class, but one of the better defensive prospects over the past five or ten years. Now, staying at the defensive end position, I, you know, I want to move a little bit, but staying at the defensive end position, there's another great athlete 
in the SEC playing defensive end. Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson, has, his career has been maligned by injuries. And he hasn't been able to stay on the field consistently. But when he's on the field, you see the athleticism. You see the ability to disrupt an offensive line. And Laramie Tunsil was interviewed. And Laramie Tunsil said the only defensive, the only edge player that gave him real trouble was Carl Lawson. And that says a lot. I mean, Laramie Tunsil is one of the best players in, in the previous class. I thought he was an elite offensive tackle, one of the best offensive tackles to come out of college football in recent memory. And the only player that he was really uncomfortable playing against was Carl Lawson. And you flip on the tape of, of Ole Miss versus, versus Auburn, and Carl Lawson was able to give Tunsil the shakes a few times. And Lawson is a really tremendous athlete. You know, he's a good size, a 6'4", 250 pounds, um, could stand to get heavier. My, th there's two issues, really, with Lawson. One, obviously is the fact that he's been injured so much over the course of his career. He's had some lower body injuries. And with defensive players, with defensive ends, where so much of their power is generated from their lower body, you have to be very, very careful in terms of weighing and paying attention to those injuries in the lower body. And you have to kind of pay attention to the medical checks. And that's something that, that you're going to have to do going forward. Also with Lawson is production. You have to take into consideration the production that he's had at Auburn. And you're going to say, oh, you know, production isn't everything. You need to be able to, you know, watch the tape. You know, the tape is so important when, when evaluating players. And you're right. You're absolutely right. And I think that when you watch the tape with Lawson, you see a very, very disruptive player. And that's why I like him so much. I do think he's the type of player that can ascend to being a first-round player, can ascend to being even a top 15 player. He has that potential. But you really need to ask the question of where is the production? He's, he had one sack last season. And he's had a three sacks over the course of his entire career. That is unprecedented in college football for a defensive end to have that little production and end up being a truly successful NFL player. Now, of course, there's some variables with that. You know, um, he's obviously dealt with injury over the course of his career, and he, you know, his, he, the last time he was really playing healthy, he was a freshman. So there's, there's reasons to excuse a lack of production, but the reality is that you want to be able to see him close more. You want him to, to finish the play. And you wonder why. And I'll tell you my, my theory on this whole thing. And it has a lot to do with touchdowns. And you'll say, oh, you know, what you know, what do touchdowns have to do with sacks? Well, I'll tell you. When you're evaluating an offensive player and they're scoring touchdowns on a consistent basis, it speaks to some special quality about the player where they're able to subvert a defense and the, what the defense is primarily trying to prevent. No, There's no bigger priority for defense than stopping touchdowns from happening. Touchdowns win football games, and therefore the defense's main objective is to make sure that they don't happen. So if a player is able to, to score them on a regular basis, 
you have to sit back and say, okay, there's something special about this football player. All the game planning in the world to prevent the offense and this player from scoring a touchdown is not working. Corey Coleman, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, guys like that who are productive at the college level or scoring touchdowns on a regular basis at the college level are already great NFL players or very good NFL players or or are going to be. I think Corey Coleman's going to be a star. So, so my point is that the flip side of the touchdown, you know, what is the offense trying to prevent the most? And that is sacks. Sacks destroy an offense. Pressure destroys an offense. So the, the play call, the blocking scheme, you know, if they have a running back back to chip, how quickly the ball gets out, everything, everything about a play is obviously oriented to, to move the ball, but also to prevent sacks from happening. So if a player is able to create that kind of pressure on a regular basis or create that kind of production on a regular basis, they're able to sack the quarterback on a regular basis, that speaks to a special quality about them. And you look at Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett had 13 sacks last year. Um that, I mean, so that's the difference. He had 13 sacks. Carl Lawson only had one. Miles Garrett is very obviously a special athlete and a special defensive player. Carl Lawson is a raw defensive player who's able to get a lot of pressure but isn't finishing the play. And you need guys who can finish the play on the defensive side. He can absolutely take a step forward. You know, his entire career has been kind of up and down because he's been injured or he's a freshman. He doesn't have the experience. So, Healthy season, final season at Auburn, and honestly, I think he puts it all together. I, I really do. I think he has the ability to be a special defensive player, but it's important to differentiate him and, and Miles Garrett because he isn't a special defensive player right now. I think he's on the cusp. He's he's going to get there, but Miles Garrett is just an absolute star already, and I think that Carl Lawson, while he's not there, will. I want to stay on the defensive line right now because I want to talk about my favorite prospect in the SEC, maybe my favorite prospect in the entire draft. Caleb Brantley. Caleb Brantley. So Florida has been churning out first-round picks or second-round picks at the defensive line uh, over the past couple years. You know, Dante Fowler went number three overall in 2015, and then Jonathan Bullard this past season was a second-round pick by the Chicago Bears, but I think that Caleb Brantley can be a better pro than either Dante Fowler or Jonathan Bullard, his former teammates, because he just has this combination of athleticism, but also this kick-ass mentality. I mean, he just wants to embarrass the player in front of him. He plays mean. He plays with an incredibly high motor. He has great burst. He's incredibly strong, you know, violent, strong hands, and will just fight through the offensive line, through the whistle. And because of that mentality and that mentality combined with his athleticism, he is so disruptive up front. And he is going, I just think he's going to be an absolute star. He's a little bit smaller. He's 6'2", only 300 pounds. So you kind of, you probably project him to be a three technique in the NFL. But he just has all the tools, uh, I think, to be a, a very, very productive three-technique defensive tackle. 
maybe he's not the prospect that D- Dominic Easley was. Dominic Easley was a first-round pick back in 2014. He played at Florida. I honestly thought that Dominic Easley was out of this world talented. Uh, I thought he was better than Aaron Donald. But Easley, unfortunately, he, he suffered some injuries his final year at Florida, and he has not been able to rebound. He got cut by the Patriots for a bunch of reasons, not just health. But, you know, I'm hoping to see him rebound. But back to Caleb Brantley. I think that Caleb Brantley, um, while he doesn't have Easley's dominant athleticism, he's a lot more controlled of a player than Easley. Easley would just kind of fly off the line and, and, and explode into an offensive line, really with no plan or rhyme or reason. Brantley is a lot more controlled. He seems a lot more nuanced. He has these eyes in the back. He, he kind of sees what's going on in the backfield. He can run down run plays very, very well. He's oh, he's always aware of where the football is. He's Like I said before, he's not that level of athlete that Dominic Easley was, but he's a very good athlete, and his athleticism combined with his understanding of the game and also his incredibly high motor is going to make him just, I, I think, an absolute star in the NFL. And I... And on the Florida defense, Florida defense is just loaded. And not only is it loaded, the way it's coached, all of the, every player on that defense wants to hurt somebody. And they play with this aggressiveness and this nonstop mentality that makes them so successful. So I want to stay with the Florida defense because they have some other prospects I feel need to be talked about. And you go back to the linebackers. So you just go back just a tier in the defense. Gerard Davis. Gerard Davis is your classic type of linebacker that people love to fall in love with during the draft process because he's smaller, he's incredibly athletic, and he can cover, he flies around, he's not your classic thumper. And people love, people love, love, love the athletic coverage, quote unquote, coverage oriented linebacker. Uh, it happens every single year, you know, be it Dion Jones or uh, Telvin Smith was a big popular one, even even though he couldn't really cover. And there was like a weird narrative because he was small and athletic, That's then he could cover. Uh, or Shaq Thompson. I remember I mean, everyone, including myself, loved Arthur Brown, uh, Alec Ogletree. So... Gerard Davis kind of fits into that, you know, the guy that the media kind of falls in love with that maybe the NFL doesn't like as much because he's not your classic hulking thumper linebacker. But Davis is still very, very good, and he has his issues. You know, as a smaller linebacker, you need to be able to compensate for your lack of sand, so to speak. You need to be able to get past blocks, and if you don't necessarily have the strength to get past blocks, you need to be faster than the blocks are. You need to get there before the, the offensive linemen are, or you need to use your speed to get around the offensive linemen. And that's what Davis is really doing. And he, what's so awesome about him is he's really a point-and-go, point-and-shoot type of linebacker where he just sees something and he fires at it. And his aggressiveness combined with his speed makes him a cruise missile, and he, just destroy, he can just destroy plays. Unfortunately... That dynamic from a defensive player, you're going to get some variance. You're going to get some plays where he just absolutely takes over and, and creates a negative play for the offense, 
or he's going to completely take himself out of the play and make it 11 on 10 football and make himself useless for the defense for a down. So obviously you have to weigh that variance. You have to weigh that consistency or lack of consistency from Davis because at the linebacker position, you want it, You want a decent amount of, of consistency. I know a lot of defensive coaches who would probably say they would much rather have linebackers who didn't really create a lot of plays themselves, but were constantly in the right place at the right time, constantly um, integral to the gaps. And, you know, maybe they weren't having a lot of interceptions or a lot of tackles for a loss, but they wouldn't really let players get behind them. They wouldn't really miss tackles. So a lot of defensive coaches want that consistency, that dependability from their linebackers. But I think there is a space for a linebacker who's able to create defense like that, who's able to create plays like that. And maybe they need to be on a you know a defense that has a particularly good defensive line, you know, or some other linebackers who can make up for any mistakes that they can. But I want to look at Alec Ogletree because Alec Ogletree is a very similar player to me um, to Davis, and both are very athletic. Both. You know, coming out of college, had this this uh, reputation of being inconsistent, but they're both playmakers. They both are playmakers. And Ogletree has turned himself. He was injured this past season for quite a bit, but they've Ogletree has become a very, very nice player for the for the St. Louis Rams. And I think that Davis he needs to temper himself a little bit. I think you want to see him miss a, a lot fewer tackles. You want to see him be a little bit more, you know, t- keep his head in the game, keep himself in a play on, on a more regular basis. But the splash plays that he's able to make are so effective, it would be hard for me not to want him on my defense going forward. You want some dependability from him. I think that's going to be a big thing for him this year is showing that he can be dependable. But the athleticism and the playmaking ability from Davis are just too good to disregard him. Jalen Tabor. So you have Caleb Brantley. You have Gerard Davis. The best prospect on the Florida defense is probably Jalen Tabor. And and Tabor is uh, their cornerback who played opposite of Vernon Hargraves last season. Vernon Hargraves obviously was a... uh, you know, top 15 pick by the by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I love Hargraves. Hargraves is my number one corner in the draft. I thought that his athleticism, his technique, his just badass mentality, the combination of those things made up for the fact that he was a bit smaller of a corner. And he, I, I think he's going to be an absolute star in Tampa Bay. The, you know, the ball hawking ability, the just everything about him is is awesome. But when you look at Tabor and you look at Hargraves, Hargraves was the playmaker of the two of them. And Tabor was more that lockdown type of player. He didn't really have the numbers, the impressive interceptions, you know, the really nice splash plays that you got from Vernon Hargraves. But he was very, very dependable in coverage on a regular basis. And he occasionally was able to, you know, make a play on the ball. And he's very athletic. He's he's great size, 6'1", 200, 200, 200 pounds. So from that aspect, he's gonna. I think he's going to be just absolutely beloved by the NFL. Just the size, the athleticism, uh, the shutdown ability and coverage. 
Now, it, you have to take into consideration the fact that Vernon Hargraves was usually covering the number one wide receiver last season and the season before. You know, Hargraves is really the guy at, at Florida, and because of that, Tabor was often covering the number two option in a passing offense. So his assignment wasn't as difficult. So, you know, you put in a really athletic long corner on a college number two wide receiver, you're probably going to get better, you know, good results more than you get bad. So it's going to be very important for Tabor to prove this year that he can be the guy on the Florida defense and cover those number one wide receivers in the SEC. And if he can do it, and he definitely has the tools to do it, you're going to hear him talked about as the best corner in this draft. Jamal Adams. But when you talk about secondary players in the SEC, you have to talk about Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is the LSU safety, 6'2", 210 pounds, an absolute cruise missile. Just so fast, so agile. You, you, players that size, you know, 6'2", 210 pounds, should not be moving around the back of the defense like Jamal Adams does. He has ball skills, he can close, he can hit, he can cover the middle of the field, he can cover the intermediate game, he's an intimidator, he defends against the run, he can make tackles in the backfield. He is a do-it-all safety. He can play strong safety, he can play free safety. I think that you're maximizing him in the NFL as a strong safety because while his athleticism is so, so good, you're probably not seeing him moving on the Earl Thomas or Harrison Smith spectrum of you know athletes at the free safety position. He's probably a tier below that. But when you put that athleticism at the strong safety position where he has so much size to to play down there, and that dominant athleticism to go along, you're just—it's a—it's a defensive mismatch. He's going to be able to—he's the size to cover tight ends. He has the athleticism to cover slot receivers, and he's going to function basically almost as another linebacker. And there, his biggest issue is he—I mean, he is a kill shot type of player. He wants to destroy the offense and the offensive players, and because of that. His aggressiveness in coverage, his aggressiveness as a tackler, you know, he can sometimes take himself out of place. But he's more often than not, I think that he is creating positive plays for a defense. And that's that's a lot different than just being a preventative player to, at, at the defensive position. You look at defensive players, or you, and good defenders are preventing offense. Great defenders are creating defense. They are creating opportunities for the defense to make plays against the offense rather than just limiting yardage. And that's Adams. He is going to force a fumble in the run game. He's going to have a big pick you know, in coverage. He's going to have a huge hit behind the line you know, coming up. He, like, he is a do-it-all defender, and I think that you know, maybe he cleans up some tackling. Maybe he is able to not be so over-aggressive in coverage, but... I honestly think that he could be a top 10 pick at safety, maybe even a top 5 pick, the highest pick safety since Eric Berry. So those are some of the best 
prospects in the SEC. I could go on and on and on about defensive guys in the conference, but I know you probably don't want to be sitting around all day listening to that. There is content on Bleeding Green Nation. You can read about these defensive prospects. I talk about Derek Barnett. I talk about Kendall Beckwith and Ruben Foster and Marlon Humphreys. You know, there is a bevy of defensive players in the conference. But I wanted to give you my top six. And if I had to rank them, I would say Gerard Davis is sixth. And then Jalen Tabor would probably be fifth. Then Caleb Brantley. Then Carl Lawson. Then Jamal Adams. And the best prospect in the SEC, no surprise to anyone, is Miles Garrett. I think that he is going to be a, one of those players we talk about is a generational defensive prospect. I hope you all had a great time listening. Next week, we'll be discussing offensive prospects in the Southeastern Conference. So get ready. We're going to be talking about running backs. We're going to be talking about offensive linemen, you know, the stuff that the SEC is famous for. But for this week on Ginger Genuine Draft, I am Ben Natan, and I am signing out. This has been the Ginger Genuine Draft Show, right here on Bleeding Green Nation and BGNRadio.com. Radio.com.